Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. If you can go back in time with me to the 1960s, the place was Wheaton College, and it was announced at chapel that Dr. Raymond Edmond would preach. The man was actually a legend of the faith. He was a past president of the college, a great Christian leader. He was getting up there in years. He was older and he was quite infirm. And it was an honor for them to have him speak at chapel. And as he made his way up into the pulpit and began to preach, he wanted the students to be excited about coming into the presence of God. He wanted them to prepare for their future with God through worship. He spoke of being reverent when we come to worship God. He spoke of a time when he was invited to have an audience with Haile Selassie. Now, Selassie, if you don't know who he was at the time, he was the emperor of Ethiopia. And Edmund used this as an illustration in his sermon. And he told about how he prepared himself, knowing that he would have an audience with this king. He described his own excitement when he first walked into the palace and the respect he had to show as he stood before this king. But at this exact point in the sermon, Dr. Edmund collapsed dead. You see, he was talking about entering into the presence of the king, and he was doing it right then and there. The veil had been pulled back, and Raymond entered into the presence of the eternal king. This morning, I want to talk to you about God's plan of faith. I want to talk to you about how God used the faith of his people to accomplish his work, his plan, and how this helped God's people live for the day when they would stand in his presence, looking to the day when they would enter into the heavenly country, into the city prepared for them. And so first we see the example of Abraham in verse 8. It tells us this. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now I want you to notice as we walk our way through these verses this morning, I want you to notice this constant message that we see in the text. By faith, pursue the city of God. By faith, don't live for this life, this time, this place. Live for the day that is coming when we stand before our king. By faith, don't live for money. By faith, don't live for the things that money can buy. Don't look for fame or fortune, but instead pursue the promises of God that point to heaven itself, because that's what Abraham did. Abraham, he had an amazing life. You know, Abraham was a pagan. I mean, he was an unbelieving pagan. That's what he was. He was an unbeliever living in a pagan household, living in a pagan land. And yet Joshua tells us this 
in Joshua 24, 2. Joshua said, and to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times. And what? They served other gods. You see, God called out Abraham, telling him to live by faith. Now, Stephen gives us a little little glimpse in the New Testament. Stephen tells us that the God of glory appeared to Abraham when he was dwelling in his homeland. Remember that Acts 7-2 teaches us, and he said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Now let's just pause. Let's be careful here to understand what happened. God actually revealed himself to this unredeemed man living in an unredeemed land. He would have been a pagan moon worshiper like the rest of the people that were living there. And the God of glory appeared to Abraham, and this brought Abraham to faith in him. Now that faith led to obedience. That's kind of how it's supposed to work. And it led him to follow God on a journey that would cover countless miles and span many years. Abraham's faith shined brightly out of a dark background. Now, you remember the command in Genesis 12. It was that the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. You see, God told Abraham to go. And Abraham went not knowing where he was going to go. He obeyed God, in other words, without having all the information. You know, it wasn't like God gave him a map. God didn't do that. God didn't tell him every single place he was going to go. He didn't tell Abraham where he was headed. But step by step in faith, Abraham was to go. But this was not blind faith, even though he didn't know where he was headed because his faith, listen, was not in the land. His faith was in the God who promised the land and the descendants to him. You see, once redeemed by the God who appeared to him, Abraham went on a journey of faith. It took him to Ur along Euphrates and past Haran until eventually he came into the land of Canaan where God told him in Genesis 12 that this was the land that he had promised. Abraham had to leave behind everything he knew. He had to leave it all behind to follow after God. He packed up his things and he went. You see, faith, faith means obeying God and being willing to step into the unknown. It's like traveling under sealed orders in the military. When you open those orders, they tell you where to go next without giving you the overall final destination. They say, go to this point, fly to this place, take a boat here. And then when you get there, you get further orders for your next stop. You see, that's the way Abraham lived. And that's the way God calls us, his people, to live. Trust him enough to obey him even when you don't have all the information. God calls us to go without knowing where we're headed. God often will show us the next step without giving us the overall plan. That's what living by faith is all about. And this is where God's people typically run into problems. We either want to be completely in charge of our own lives and our own situations and control our own way, or we want to know, hey, could you at least tell me where you're taking me in life? 
But that's not living by faith, is it? That is trying to be God. Living by faith is trust, trusting him enough to obey, even if he doesn't give you all the information, trusting him enough to let go of the chase that you and I are caught up in in this world, trusting him enough to say, I don't need to chase after the wealth of this world. I need to focus on the wealth that I have in heaven to forego the wealth of this world, to follow him now. That is what Abraham and his family did. Verses nine and 10 tell us, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is who? God. You see, when Abraham got to the place that God had showed him, he lived in a tent in the, for the rest of his life. Can you imagine what that conversation looked like? Honey, we're going on a road trip. Where are we going to live? In a tent for the rest of our lives. But that's what they did. He had to live in a tent. The Canaanites were there. They were the ones that lived in the cities. And Abraham, he lived in the land promised to him and his people. And he waited and he waited and he waited and he waited. And he lived in a tent because Abraham knew something. Abraham knew that even though God had promised this land would be his, he was still living in a foreign land. It wasn't that Abraham had a lack of faith. It wasn't that God wanted Abraham to go take over the land. Abraham never possessed it. You see, Abraham was waiting for God's timing. Abraham was waiting for God to work out his plan because Abraham was looking for the city of God. What? The new Jerusalem, the heavenly city yet to come spoken of in Revelation 21. Now, Abraham's mind was on the eternal riches. So he was content to live in a tent, living like a nomad. That only land that Abraham ever owned was the place where he buried his wife, Sarah. He didn't need to chase after the riches here because he was looking forward to the riches of heaven. This city that God had promised Abraham would not be built in the land of Canaan that God had given Abraham. This city wasn't going to be built by men. This is a heavenly city with eternal foundations. Now, the Apostle John, he describes it for us. He tells us in Revelation 21, 2, he says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is a heavenly city where Abraham would live with God. This city will come down from heaven in the messianic kingdom of God. And so here is what the author of Hebrews is, is telling us. He said, Abraham knew that his final destination was the heavenly city of God. And so when Abraham lived in Canaan, he lived in a tent. He didn't care. He lived in a tent because he lived like a man who knew that this was not his eternal home. He was good with that. Are you good with that? He lived in tents like an unwanted foreigner so he could move when God instructed, so he could go when God said go. Even when he settled in the land of promise, Abraham knew that the land was not his final destination. By faith, he waited for the better day when God would deliver all that he had promised. The land, the city of God, all to be fulfilled in the coming messianic kingdom of God. 
Abraham, he lived as a stranger because he knew his permanent home was found in the heavenly city with God. But I want you to notice Abraham continued to live by faith, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now, God didn't fulfill the promise in Abraham's lifetime, but God had already told him this back in Genesis 15. He said it wouldn't happen in his lifetime, that Abraham would actually die before the land was given to his people. Abraham looked further. He looked and lived for that future hope. Abraham looked past the cities that were already there in Canaan to the city of God. You see, Abraham, he didn't fall into the trap of thinking of the material things of this world that they will do us any good in glory when we're with Christ. Hebrews is telling God's people, it's telling us, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on his eternal plan. Abraham, he didn't look for a city in the land of promise. He looked for a city that will come, that is founded and built by God himself. See, Abraham wanted God to be the architect of the city. Abraham wanted God to be the architect of his life. And so what did he do? He waited. Waiting is difficult. But while we wait for God, we must learn to live by faith. God always keeps his promises. He always does. But many times we have to wait on the Lord. And how can we do that? By faith. Only by faith. Sometimes when I get discouraged, and I do, I'm just like anybody else, I get discouraged. But sometimes when I do get discouraged, I like to read about some of the heroes of the faith. I'd encourage you to do that if you struggle with that same battle. Men like Alan Gardner, he was a faithful missionary in the early 1800s, and he went from island to island in southern Chile, attempting to share Christ to the native people. The physical difficulties and the hardships that he went through were extreme. But he said of this time, quote, while God gives me strength, failure will not overwhelm me. In other words, as long as God continued to give him strength, he would still serve God. In 1851, he died of disease and starvation while serving on Picton Island at the southern tip of South America. Alan was 57 years old when his body was found. His diary laid nearby, and it contained a record of all that he had gone through. It contained a record of, of his hunger, his thirst, the injuries, the loneliness he felt. And the last entry in Alan's little book showed the tremble of his shaking hand as he tried to write a dying man. And with all of his suffering and with all of his hardship, here are the last words that he wrote. I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of my God. You see, his face should confront us because compared to him, every one of us in this room has been pampered in life. Every one of us. Repeatedly, he went to South America. He gave his life trying to spread the gospel to the lost people of Patagonia. He died of starvation without seeing a single soul saved. He never saw one person come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see, that's not the end of the story. Because before he died, Alan had founded the South American Missionary Society, who has been sending missionaries for over 150 years and seeing men and women come to know Jesus Christ. Learn to wait on the Lord. Learn to look at the things in your life from God's perspective. By faith, we can. Sarah had to learn this same lesson long ago. Verse 11, this gets 
fascinating in the text. Read it with me. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Like her husband Abraham, Sarah believed God. Now this is an amazing verse. It's subtle, and you may miss it the first time you go through, but it's an amazing verse. Let me explain why. You remember that God promised Abraham that he would make him a great nation. This was the next part of the Abrahamic covenant that God had given him. In Genesis 12, 2, God told Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now, I can do the math. I can figure this out. Abraham must father a son. You must father a son if you're going to have a nation come from you. Abraham didn't forget about this. Abraham, in a lot of ways, I love this next record that we see in the Word of God. He was a lot like us. He didn't forget about this. He kept bringing it up. He was like a child in some ways. He brought it up to God in Genesis 15. He said, Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? Then Abraham said, look, you've given me no offspring. And God How did God respond? He said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. Here they were at a crisis of faith, to be honest. They were because Sarah had been barren her entire life and she realized she couldn't do it. She couldn't provide Abraham with a son. And so she did exactly like most of us in this room would have done. She took matters into her own hands. She tried to help God, and that's what we see in Genesis 16. She believed the promise must be fulfilled, but she knew she couldn't do it. So she offered Abraham her servant Hagar as a concubine. Now, Sarah, she believed God, but she believed she needed to do something in order for the promise of God to be fulfilled. From the servant Hagar and Abraham, Ishmael was born. And at this time, Abraham was now 86 years old. But then you get to Genesis 17 and 13 more years have gone by. Abraham is now 99 years old. And God said again to Abraham, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and the kings will come from you. Abraham's 99. Even if Sarah would have conceived that day, Abraham would have been 100 years old when this child was born. Genesis adds to this and tells us in verse 17, it says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham, he knew the promise of God. Sarah knew the promise of God, but she was barren and she wasn't getting any younger. And then we see the same thing in Genesis 18, that the Lord came to strengthen her faith and his faith. And God told Abraham, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. And where was Sarah? Sarah's listening. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Sarah heard the message and hear this part, because I want to put all this together in a second. She heard the message and she responded with laughter. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had been had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed 
within herself. Now, let's track this with me. Abraham laughed. Sarah laughed. But there was a difference. And what was that difference? Now, if you study Genesis very, very closely, if you study these texts very, very closely, I think the difference is here that Abraham laughed with the laughter of joy because he believed the message. Laughter because Abraham was kind of surprised. He thought Ishmael was the fulfillment of the promise. Sarah, she laughed differently. She laughed out of unbelief. I don't think Sarah thought it was possible. In Genesis 17, Abraham, you see him worshiping God, talking with God. And in Genesis 18, Sarah was looking only at her own circumstances and she was barren and she was old and God rebuked her laughter. So hear me on this. Sarah didn't look beyond her circumstances to see that God's power was able to fulfill what he had promised. So how is it then? Here in Hebrews, how is it that the author says Sarah judged God faithful? How is it that Hebrews 11 credits Sarah for her faith with the birth of Isaac? And the answer is that God brought Sarah to a place where she quit looking at her impossible circumstances. And she started looking to God himself. And God brought her to an understanding that he would be faithful. You see, Isaac wasn't born until Genesis 21. More time went by. God worked in his time. God worked out his plan in his time to bring his people to mature faith for his glory. Sarah had an attitude adjustment is basically what happened. It says in Genesis 21, after Isaac was born, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old age. You see, now her laughter was rooted in faith, able to see how God had fulfilled this promise. God rewarded her faith. God enabled her to conceive, to carry the child to full term and give birth to Isaac. Genesis explains it to us. It says, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. Verse 12, back in Hebrews. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, it's a nice way of saying you're old, were born as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Now, notice how the author is circling back. He's got a point. He's trying to tell the Christians something to the Hebrew Christians that as the descendants of Abraham, they were part of the fulfillment of the promise of God to his people. God kept his promise to Abraham. God kept his promise to Sarah, even though they didn't live to see the fulfillment of it. Referring to Abraham... The text says that he was as good as dead, old, past the normal age when you have children. But he became the father of millions. Abraham even recognized the deadness of his own body. He recognized the deadness of Sarah's womb. He knew it was humanly impossible, but he believed that God would do exactly as he had promised. And look at what Paul says about this in Romans 4. Paul talked about it and said that Abraham... And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body 
already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. See, God had promised Abraham that his offspring would number with the stars in heaven and the sand on the shore. Against all human reasoning, Abraham dared to believe and an entire nation of God's people came from him because he knew this. He knew that God cannot lie and God will not make a promise that he does not intend to keep. Nancy Guthrie, she wrote about her experience. I wanted to mention this to you. She wrote about her experience when after she gave birth, the doctors gave them some news and told them that their daughter had a rare condition where the children usually live less than six months. There was no treatment. There was no cure. There would be no survivors. So listen to what they named their baby girl. They named her Hope. Listen to Nancy's words. We had hope for 199 days. We loved her. We enjoyed her richly and shared her with everyone we could. We held her tight during the seizures, and then we had to let her go. Nancy said that the day after they buried hope, her husband said to her, you know, I think we expected our faith to make this hurt less, but it doesn't. Our faith gave us an incredible amount of strength and encouragement while we had hope. Our faith keeps us from being swallowed by despair, but I don't think it makes our loss hurt any less. Early on in my journey, I said to God, okay, if I'm going to go through this, then give me everything. Teach me, God, everything you want to teach me through this. Don't let this incredible pain be wasted in my life. God allows good and bad into our lives, and we can trust him with both. Trusting God when the miracle does not come, when the urgent prayer gets no answer, when there is only darkness, God values this type of faith. Nancy, she added these words to the end. She said, I believe that the purpose of hope's short life and my life was and is to glorify God. I think we can learn that same lesson here in Hebrews 11, verse 13 in your text. These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These all died in faith. Don't miss these words. These all died in faith. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, they all died without ever owning any of the land that God had promised them. I love the teaching here. I hope you do too. I love the teaching. People can still be living by faith when they die. They died with trust, never seeing their descendants inherit the land because they trusted God to give the future generations what they only hoped for. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, because they viewed themselves as strangers traveling on their way to their home in glory in heaven. They weren't looking for a mansion on a hill. They were looking for that heavenly city in glory. But faith, it led to assurance, and it changed their attitude toward how they lived. They all died in faith, meaning this was how they lived their lives. It was the pattern. It was a consistent pattern of their lives. From the time of their justification to their deaths, they lived according to faith. 
The promise of a son had come to Abraham, but the promise of land was not fulfilled. They had faith bold enough to believe what God had already promised. They staked their entire lives on God's promises that they saw them from afar. What God promised them wasn't near. It was on the distant horizon, meaning they knew one day God would give his people all that he had promised. And even though they died, they never lost their vision of heaven. They never lost their vision of living one day in a better country. Instead of looking for instant answers to life's problems here and now, they looked to God, they looked to the future and continued to believe. They knew this, that we cannot live here forever. They knew that we are not at home in this world. Why? Because we're made for a better one. Our last three verses, starting in verse 14. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now, Abraham certainly knew he was a stranger in the land of Canaan. He even said this in Genesis 23, telling the people, I'm a foreigner. I'm a visitor among you. You see, Abraham, he didn't think of Ur or Haran as his homeland because if he did, he could have just gone back. He could have gone back to his his original land that he was from, but he knew there was a better country for him, a heavenly country. Above and beyond the earthly promise was the heavenly promise, meaning the land of Canaan, it foreshadowed, it pointed forward to the heavenly city. And so by knowing this, it made them hold lightly to the earthly side of things. By faith, they chose not to go back to the land from which they had come, even when it came time to bury the dead. They stayed. By faith, they looked to their citizenship in heaven. You see, there was no going back. By faith, they were content to live as strangers in the land of Canaan, awaiting the fulfillment of what God had one day promised them. And so think of what he's telling the Hebrew Christians as he writes this letter, the great fathers of the Hebrew faith. They didn't turn back when they could have. They didn't turn back to their life before when God had chosen them to a new work. They embraced the difficulties. They learned the lessons that God had for them, and they didn't lose hope. They kept looking forward to the heavenly country. You know, it's easy. It's very easy, and I know it firsthand. When we go through the struggles to become focused only on our problems, but the message of Hebrews is keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on all that he has promised. When men and women walk by faith, God is not ashamed of his people, and we can know this. We can rest in this. We can know that there is a heavenly country and city prepared for God's people that will be a part of the kingdom of the Son. God rewards those who walk by faith. These are the heroes of faith headed for the new Jerusalem. Idi Amin, he was the brutal dictator that reigned over Uganda. An evangelist, Festo Kibinjera, he wrote an account of a dark day in 1973 when three men were to be executed by a firing squad. Here are his words. They're remarkable. Listen as I read. He says, February 10 began as a sad, sad day for us. People were commanded to come to the stadium and witness the execution. Death permeated the atmosphere. A silent crowd of about 3,000 was there to watch. 
I had permission from the authorities to speak to the men before they died. Two of my fellow ministers were there with me. They brought the men in a truck and unloaded them. They were handcuffed and their feet were chained. The firing squad stood at attention as we walked into the center of the stadium. And I was wondering, I love the honesty. I was wondering what to say. How do you give the gospel to doomed men who are probably seething with rage? We approached them from behind, and as they turned to look at us, he said, what a sight. Their faces were all lit up with an unmistakable glow and radiance. And before we could say anything, one of them spoke up, and the man thanked Festo for coming and said he had something that he needed to share before he died. And then the man went on to describe how on the day that he was arrested, he had received Jesus as his Savior in the prison cell. And listen to the words. These are the actual words of this prisoner. He said, quote, Jesus came in and forgave me all my sins. Heaven is now open and there is nothing between me and my God. Please tell my wife and children that I'm going to be with Jesus. Well, the other two men that were much the same as this, but they were so excited as they told of their salvation that they raised their hands and were rattling their handcuffs. They were so excited about their new life in Christ. And Festo said, I felt that what I needed to do was to talk to the soldiers, not to the condemned. So I translated what the men had said into the language of the soldiers, the language that the soldiers would understand. And so the military men, they were standing there with guns ready and very, very confused faces. They were so dumbfounded that they forgot to put the hoods over the men's faces before they killed them. And the three faced the firing squad standing close together and looked toward the people and began to wave their handcuffs and all. And then the people, they waved back and the shots were fired and the three men were with Jesus. Besto said, we stood in front of them, our own hearts throbbing with joy, mingled with tears, but it was a day to never be forgotten. Though dead, the men spoke loudly so that there was an upsurge of life in Christ, which challenges death and defeats it. And then Festo, he added these final words. He said, the next Sunday I was preaching to a huge crowd in the hometown of one of the executed men. And again, the feeling of death was over the people, but I gave them the testimony of their man and how he died. And there erupted a great song of praise to Jesus. Many turned to the Lord. Hebrews 11 it calls us to this same hope. These great men and women of faith that have gone before, they're dead. But they still speak to us today, don't they? You and I find strength from the courage of these giants in the faith, knowing that we serve the same God, knowing that the same God is working today in the lives of His people. You see, life is difficult, but God is good. Every one of us in this room is going to go through disappointments and loss and struggles and sorrow. But faith allows us to find our way through those struggles. Faith gives us hope, a hope for a better day in a better land with a better king. You see, faith doesn't mean we won't have problems. Faith does not mean we will be successful in everything that we do, but it does mean that the ultimate victory will be ours in Jesus Christ. Faith means that we can live secure, secure in him. We live secure in the knowledge that we can have absolute trust, complete confidence in the promises of God. See, God tells us in his word, I see, I hear, I will bring justice. 
Psalm 34 reminds us, says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. You see, faith allows us to live in victory, meaning this. We don't have to live with that grip of panic that some people have over death. We don't have to live with that same type of fear that holds people back from living for Jesus Christ. Life is difficult, but God is good. The psalmist claims in Psalm 121 that he had faith in the unseen God. He said these words. He said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. What? From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Oh, life is difficult, but I have faith in God's promises. I have faith in God's continued presence. Abraham, he didn't throw in the towel while he waited year after year after year for his son. Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac lived as strangers in an unknown land, a land that was promised to them, but they knew that there is a city not built by hands. The builder is God, and it is a land where we will never grow old. I think, as I look at Hebrews 11, that Sarah felt useless when she was barren. She laughed at God. But when the child of promise came, she laughed with joy because she discovered the goodness of God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Sarah discovered that even though life is hard, God was there the entire time walking alongside of them, giving them strength, because God never abandoned them. God never quit on them. Have faith, my friends, and continue to live for the day when we will stand in the city of our God and our King. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.